Good morning, witches. This is the Witch Daily Show, coming to you from New Orleans, with host Tanya Brown. Our episodes span about 20 minutes long to give you just a little pop of magic. So, tune in, take a deep breath, and enjoy. Good morning. It is February 21st, 2024. It is Wednesday. I am Tanya, and this is the Witch Daily Show. Today's episode is brought to you by the Grimoire Society. So let's talk about the Grimoire Society. The Grimoire Society is essentially a magical penny dreadful. It arrives at your doorstep every month only for $5 for U.S. uh, non-international shipping. So yeah, $5 a month, free shipping uh, for U.S. And it is just the most adorable little cereal that shows up at your doorstep. It has a Victorian flair. It is snarky, silly. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but it offers real advice, real spells, real recipes, and a fun little story you can read just a smidge a month. And yeah, uh, check it out, thegrimoiresociety.com. They also accept submissions. So if you kind of are curious about getting your thoughts out there, you can. And check it out. For only $5 a month, it really is. For $5 a month and and it shows up at your door and it's something you can keep and save. And it's still kind of underground, so it's not the super popular thing. Uh, It's a really cool uh, little thing. So just check it out. So we are talking today about catnip and we're talking about catnip lore. And this comes to us from bgdailynews.com. The folks at University of Iowa have proven that catnip actually makes a wonderful mosquito repellent 10 times more effective than what you would get in the store. Basically, all you need is two cups of catnip washed and two cups of almond oil. You want to go ahead and make a infusion out of it. Let it sit for two weeks. Uh, drain it and you have a, a mosquito repellent, which I think is really cool. So in the language of flowers, it says courage and happiness. Uh, and it's also meant to attract good spirits and good luck. If you hold some in your hand until it becomes warm, then hold another person's hand. That person will be your friend. But only for as long as you keep the charmed catnip. Uh, that they touched. In the garden, it deters flea beetles, Japanese beetles, squash bugs, ants, and weevils. You can also steep some in water to make an insect repellent like we shared or an oil to make like a little insect uh, mosquito repellent. You can give your garden the gift of catnip. Only do make sure to spray or neuter your feline friends first. Stay or neuter your feline friends first. Uh, yeah, so check it out. Catnip. I love it. All right, moving into some headlines. This comes to us from GreekReporter.com. What witches from ancient Greece tell us about modern witchcraft? And this was a guest submission to the website, and it was published uh, last November. 
So from ancient Greece through Puritan New England, witches functioned as easy targets for cultural anxieties about gender, power, and morality. By living on the North Shore in Boston, in the fall brings the gorgeous turning of the leaves and pumpkin patches, and it's also time for people to head to Salem, Massachusetts. So while modern witchcraft is inclusive of many different genders and identities, witches in ancient myth and literature were almost exclusively women. Their stories were in part about navigating gender roles and power in a patriarchal system. Fear about women's power was an essential part of ancient anxiety about witchcraft. This fear, moreover, relied on traditional expectations about the abilities innate to a person's gender. As early as the creation narrative in Theogony, poem hailing from a poetic tradition between the 8th and 5th centuries BC, Male gods like Cronus and Zeus were depicted with physical strength, while female figures were endowed with intelligence. In particular, women knew about the mysteries of childbirth and how to raise children. In this basic framework of Greek myth, men were strong and women used intelligence to trick and cope with violence against them. This gender difference in trait combined with ancient Greek views of bodies and aging Women were seen to move through stages of life based on biology, where the men aged in connection to their relationship with women, aka like getting married, having children, etc. Both Greek and Latin have a single word for man and husband, near. In Greek, the ver in Latin. Socially and ritually, men were essentially seen as adolescents until they became husbands and fathers. And why I think this is really interesting is because they're saying, like, in ancient Greek, men were viewed as adolescents until they became fathers and husbands. But we see that um, modernly. If you think about, like, the 50s, 60s, and 70s, women lived with their parents until they got married. And um, a lot of women got married purely because they were ready to just be considered grown up. And the only way to not be considered an adolescent anymore was to get married. So I think that's really funny how that kind of switched around. So witches in ancient Greece were powerful, and this is true especially for women who did not fit into typical gendered roles like the virtuous bride, the good mother, or the, or the helpful old maid. While ancient Greek does not have a word that directly translates as witch, it does have pharmakos, someone who gives out drugs or medicine, and aodus, a singer or an enchantress, and gra, as old woman. Of these names, Graz is probably the closest to later European stereotypes. It is kind of this mysterious old woman who is not a part of traditional family structures. So in the Odyssey, there are similar themes of like sirens, right? There's this like singing enchantress. There's Helen who causes the Trojan War. And in each of these cases, it's women who practice magic, threaten to exert control over men with tools that can also be part of a pleasurable life, songs, sex, families, and other myths of monstrous women reinforce how misogynistic stereotypes animates these beliefs. And we talked about this a little bit when we did our cryptid series, not last October, but the October before, when we talked about sirens, we kind of touched on this. Modern witches are crossing international borders and learning from each other without leaving their homes by creating communities on social media like TikTok. With fear about women's power lets paranoia in the past, exploring and embracing witchcraft has become a part of reclaiming women's histories. 
I love that take. Super nice. All right, witches, I am throwing this over to our moon correspondent. And after this break, we will talk more. Hello to all of my astro friends. This is Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, coming at you with your daily moon mantra for Wednesday, February 21st. The waxing gibbous moon moves from the comfort of Cancer to the bright lights of Leo today. Here, the moon hits a T-square with its opposition to the conjunction of Venus, Mars, and Pluto and square to Jupiter. The Venus, Mars, and Pluto conjunction is quite intense, asking us to take a close look at our motivations for pursuing what we love. Do we really love it or them, or are we just driven by desire? Pluto will accept nothing less than the naked truth, so make sure that you're being real with yourself before making a move. The square to Jupiter says that if we do the work and commit to honoring the outcome of these ruminations, things will start to change for the better. But not, and this is important, unless and until we do the work. Your daily moon mantra is, nothing will work unless you do. This has been your Daily Moon Mantra with Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, signing off and reminding you that you are in charge of your own destiny. Only the elusive and exclusive witches, eminent in their communities and ever attuned to the murmurs of the world, are privy to the Grimoire Society's monthly missive. Not for the frivolous, obtuse, or inattentive, our cereal caters to the creme de la creme of witching society, imparting knowledge, amusement, and the art of conjuration at every turn of the moon. Safely ensconced within your witch's cabinet, nestled between the eye of Newt, or consider presenting a subscription to the fledgling witch, new to the neighborhood with a yearning for the enchanting camaraderie of the witching world. Only $5 an issue, free shipping, U.S. only, at thegrimoiresociety.com. All right, we are back. So we are talking this week about self-love. We're doing a self-love series, and we're just kind of talking a little bit about how we can treat ourselves a little better and how that relates to our magic, you know? I'm going to take a sip of my tea before we continue. I always like to give a warning. Okay, so let's talk. So on Monday, we talked about resilience. On Tuesday, we talked about risks, and today we're talking about empathy. So as a reminder, this information comes from BetterUp.com, Forbes.com, and Wondermind.com. So when we are able to see ourselves and accept our strengths and weaknesses with compassion and appreciation, we can also have compassion for others. This ability to hold space for other people's struggles helps us to become more empathetic. In turn, empathy creates a stronger connection and sense of belonging. So BetterUp found that one-on-one -on -one coaching improves empathy by over 40%, and improving empathy also improves your cognitive and physiological flexibility. Or, I'm sorry, psychological, not physiological. <laughs> psychological and cognitive flexibility. You become better able to step into someone else's shoes, and in turn, this can have a positive effect on your communication skills. Now, this is something I feel like we're really struggling with in our climate, and you might think I'm only referring to older generations. I'm actually not. I'm also referring to younger generations. Uh, one of the biggest, I actually just 
was talking to someone about this. I think as a world, we're so worried about being correct in a political sense or moral in a political sense that we're losing our ability to have empathy. And a really great example of this is when the uh, submersible you had all of these people who considered themselves politically correct, morally correct, um, like this new generation of caring about humans, making fun of these people who experience probably the, one of the most horrific things one can experience. And it was in that moment it dawned on me, like, yes, is there such thing as an ethical billionaire? Probably not, right? Are rich people killing our uh, earth and hurting our society? Yes, right? And I think because we're so focused on being politically moral and politically correct, we're losing the ability to think like people in a micro sense versus a macro sense. So you had some of the people who view themselves as being the most caring about people, the most empathetic, who thought it was hilarious that these people died. And I can understand, and from my point of view, and I guess I can understand we don't like them from a political, worldly, macro sense. On a micro sense, I can't even wrap my mind around the level of terror these people felt. And it's not about their humanity. It's about my humanity. I can't make fun of people who felt that level of fear. Do I like billionaires? No. Do I think it's ridiculous, the situation? Yes. Do I think it's funny, the level of fear and terror these people felt? I don't. And I think that is where we're struggling as a society currently is empathy. I think we're forgetting how to care about each other one-on-one and we're forgetting to care about each other on a micro sense. Um, I've actually heard this called the boomerfication of Gen Z. And it's how exactly that. It's, yeah, we're caring more on a global level, we're caring less about each other on a small level. And I think that is creating these more, well, I can do whatever I want because it's my right to do whatever I want. And I don't care if you're allergic to peanut butter, I'm going to eat my sandwich here. And if you get sick, well, that's your fault. And we're, that's, that's the energy we're creating. You know, it's so yeah, empathy is a problem. So I'm glad that we're talking about it today. So how can this affect magic? The whole point of magic, and if, oh my gosh, anyone you talk to, I think it was Diana Helmuth, who we had a interview with most recently. She talked about learning about witchcraft made her realize how universally connected we all are. And when you believe we are all universally connected, you want to do your best for each other, both on a macro and micro. It's not about picking one or the other. It's about caring on both levels. You know, you have, uh, and I'm going to be generalizing, so try not to take offense. 
we have this boomer idea where, yes, they're nice to everyone on a micro level, but they'll vote against you having rights, right? And then we have Gen Z, which kind of feels like the opposite, right? Like, yes, they are going to vote for you to have rights and human rights, and but they're going to maybe make fun of you to your face. So it's it's almost like this switch up. It's like the same side of, you know, a different coin. And it goes against witchcraft, right? You have to have both. You have to care both on a high level and a low level. And that is what witchcraft is. We are all interconnected. We're all interconnected. And if you don't have empathy, if you are unable to view outside of your own perspective to try to view someone else's perspective, you're not connecting to the universe. And in my view, I don't see how your magic is going to be very effective. Now, now we're moving into like spiritual beliefs. I have a spiritual belief that the universe has a system of checks and balances. And if you do your best, your best to do what's good for the whole versus yourself, the universe takes care of you. That's kind of how I view it. And that is why empathy matters to your magic. Because if the world is suffering, you're not going to succeed. Spiritually, economically, powerfully, magically. I'm going to be honest. I didn't expect this episode to get as political as it did. So I do apologize. I know people don't really like that. But it is, I'm sorry, it's in relation to what we're talking about, you know. So let's talk about a few exercises of how we can improve empathy. So learning how to take care of yourself means building habits that support your well-being. Try a mini reset. When you feel like you need to recharge, maybe you feel burnt down and you feel disconnected from the world and other people. When we're burnt out, we can get very, very uh, hyper-focused on ourselves and forget about the rest of the world. Create a self-care plan for yourself. Building self-care routines is an essential and proactive approach to nurturing your overall well-being. It involves the intentional cultivation of habits and practices that contributes to your physical, emotional, and mental health. No two self-care plans are identical. Begin by identifying activities that bring you joy, relaxation, and a sense of fulfillment. And these could range from simple daily rituals, such as quick morning stretches, meditation, to larger things, such as regular exercise or creative pursuits. Consider creating a self-care calendar or planner to help structure and prioritize your self-care routines. Schedule dedicated time. I know. Schedule dedicated time for activities that rejuvenate your mind, body, and ensuring self-care becomes a non-negotiable part of your routine. So experiment with different approaches and be open to adjusting your plan as needed as flexibility is key to adapting life's changing demands. And we talked about that during our planning series earlier this year. We talked about, remember, we talked about creating a menu right? So when it says you have to have flexibility in your plan, have a menu. Instead of I want to meditate for 10 minutes, 
have a menu of one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, and you can pick one based off what your day is bringing, you know? Exercise two, make an actual safe space for yourself. Creating a safe zone of of your own is an act of self-love because it gives you a designated area where you can focus on your needs and emotions instead of uh, focusing too much on pleasing other people because that's not empathy, right? Pleasing people is not being empathetic. Taking care of your own emotions. Remember, put your mask on before putting on someone else's mask on. Focus about your needs so that you're in a good place and then you can be more empathetic to others. When we're feeling underfilled or underserved, it's real hard to care about other people, right? So can you make your bedroom a worry-free region? Can your nightly showers feature candles and, and zen music? Can you chill in your car when you need a breather from life? The key in creating a space that feels good and peaceful when life is neither of those things is is having something that exists fully for you, right? So something I like to do in this vein is to have a really nice nightly routine when I do it. Having a nice nightly routine where I start by turning down my bed. I'll light candles. I'll put a fun little Olipop next to uh, my bed on my nightstand. Um, I'll have my computer there because I'm probably going to start writing. I'll load up whichever movie or TV show I want to watch. I kind of create this space for myself. And then I go shower, pick up the house, run the dishwasher, etc. Right? So then when I'm ready to uh be done for the day, I can go to my room at, or my bedroom, which is set up for rest and relaxation. So that's kind of how I make a safe space for myself. And you can have the same thing kind of like in your car. Maybe you make sure to keep it clean and vacuumed and you have a fun little air freshener that you picked up from your favorite fragrance store. And you can really make any space feel like a calming, safe space. Exercise three. Speak to yourself as you would a friend. When you are kind to yourself, you have the ability to be kind to others. Negative self-talk is something we all engage in. However, if you constantly beat yourself up for your shortcomings, it can make you feel helpless, worthless, and less motivated to put yourself out there. Nobody's perfect. Try imagining your friend making the same mistake or failure and think about what you would say to them. A big part of self-love is finding that little voice inside our head, and by noticing how we talk to ourselves, we can show ourselves compassion when an interaction or assignment doesn't go as planned. Dr. Zar also advises checking in with what you intentionally say or think about yourself throughout the day, and engaging in positive self-talk can help you move towards acceptance. Now, I love this, right? If we can be kinder to ourselves, we can learn how to do that for others. And it's hard, you know? It's really, really hard when we're stressed out, when we're frustrated, when we're not feeling loved, when we don't love ourselves, we will take that out on the rest of the world. I saw a post from a friend on Facebook, I believe it was, or somebody, some social media, 
uh, someone I knew and they said, hey, I'm starting to notice I want to comment not kind things on other people's posts or strangers' posts or I want to be negative towards strangers. This is telling me that I'm not doing well and I'm not caring about myself and I need to take a social media break. And I thought that was incredible. That was incredible. So this person noticed I'm taking my fr- I want to be frustrated at everybody. I want to be a troll. I want to be snippy and negative on social media. This is telling me I don't love myself right now and I need to fix something. And I agree. So when we can be kind to ourselves and love ourselves and take care of ourselves, we'll find we're more empathetic and flexible to other people. All right. So the three exercises we talked about, in case you don't remember, so pick one. Just pick one. Pick one and try to do it today. Speak to yourself as you would a friend. I want you to think of something that maybe you really, really struggle with in terms of yourself. Maybe you feel like you failed at some point of something in your life. I want you to imagine a friend told you that. And I want you to think about what you would say to them and try to give yourself the same level of forgiveness. Create a safe space for yourself. Bedroom, bar, any place that feels like it's yours. Take some steps today to make it feel more comfortable and cozy and stress-free. And then finally, create a self-care plan. Create a self-care plan and maybe a journal or a calendar or a planner. And I want you to find a slot of time that you can schedule and dedicate to a self-care task. Similar as you would to a doctor's appointment. Make it that important. Okay? All right, witches. We are wrapping up this episode of the Witch Daily Show. Don't forget any books, decks, headlines, sources. Anything we talked about today can be found in the podcast episode description or witchpod.com. And we'll talk again tomorrow. Bye. Witches. We hope you have a wonderful day full of joy and gentleness and confidence. Links for this week's episodes, our website, Patreon, along with a free daily card pull can be found at witchpod.com. One stop for everything we talk about. Now, take one more deep breath and have a great day.